Today we're starting a new sermon series, and we are excited about it. Um, it's called Managing Your Soil, or something like that, Maintaining Soil. Sorry, um, I changed the title partway through, and then I got confused. Um, but it's, it's called Maintaining Soil, and it is going to be a study of the parable of the, of the sower. And, I, you know, it's interesting. I've tried to stay away from cliche-type passages. You know, and, and a cliche passage is a passage that often gets taught in Sunday school, and, you know, you hear about it and go, oh, yeah, I know that one. And it seems so light and fluffy and whatever, and you're just like, oh, I got it, I got it. But as I was reading through, through Scripture, I come across this parable, and God was like, hmm, yeah, that one. And he just honed in on it. And so as, as I studied it, you know, and I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, my word, this speaks so deeply. It speaks so deeply. So let me read it. It's found in Matthew 13. It's broken into two parts. It's the actual parable, and then Jesus explains the parable. And so I'm going to read both parts without commentary, and then I will pray. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them, and other seeds fell on the good soil and produced good grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown into his heart. This is what's sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown in the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit, and yields in one case a hundred, in another case sixty, and another thirty. Jesus, I pray that we would have ears to understand the parable. God, that we would have ears to understand what the Spirit is saying to us and to me. God, open up our hearts to be people who hear your word and are changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the thing about cliche passages is Jesus used parables because they were easy to understand. I mean, for most people, because the general public, when Jesus is talking, they're farmers. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't know much about farming. In fact, I tried to prune a, a, uh, a tree once, and it died because I pruned it wrong. So I'm not really a farmer type, but Jesus was speaking to farmers, and they understood this. So what we've done is we've modernized it. We've brought it into a context that we go, okay, we understand this, and we, and we allegorize it. We simply put it into a framework. 
And, uh, and, and, and the framework we put it in makes us think that the parable is for someone else. This parable specifically, most of the time, speaks to someone who does not know Jesus. Most of the time, it's taught where this is about evangelism. And what is the soil that, that the people's hearts are hearing, and this is all about evangelism, and they've got to hear the gospel, and, you know, some of them, they hear it and they get excited, and some of them, they're so concerned about their material goods that they don't even want to hear the gospel, and other people, they hear the gospel and accept it, and, and it's good. So that's what we did with this passage. We made it safe. This is easy to understand, right? It's so simple. It's just about evangelism, guys, and since we don't really do evangelism anyways, it totally doesn't matter. Shoot, I should have edited that. So, the problem is, this parable is not about evangelism. We made this assumption to make the parable safe, but it's, there's nowhere in the parable that says in any way this is about evangelism. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Jesus in Matthew uses the term the kingdom of God, but it's not about evangelism. You know, we, when we look at the text, it says uh, in, in um, 18 to 23, we hear the word the kingdom of God, and many people assume that, oh, well, that's the first time you heard about the kingdom of God. The first time you heard what it was, and you know, while that's not, while that's included, it is by no means everything. The power of this parable is undermined if we reduce it to a message for first-time hearers. This entire parable is you. It's you. Well, and me. But you. So what is God's kingdom? Matthew uses this term, the kingdom of God. And, and that's his thing. Right out of the desert, he comes out and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is his mission. What is he talking about? The kingdom of God. Well, the Jews understood it in the context of an ancient Hebrew word called shalom, and it's one of my favorite words. Shalom in, in its most basic form, is what the world looks like when God makes everything right, creating peace. We've reduced it to simply peace, where it's like, oh, it's like peace, and like in a beauty pageant, I want peace for the world. But it's not just peace, it's like it is everything ordered correctly. It is all parts of the machinery of this world, both human and natural, all working in perfect order together with no flaw. The kingdom of God. It's, it's the vision of God that he's like, I see this and this is the way I created it to be, that there would be no division between humanity, that there would be hope, that there would be peace, that there would be no more war or sickness or death or scarcity. This is the kingdom of God, but it is going to mean change. So he uses the kingdom of God to indicate the plan of God 
that God is doing in the person of Jesus. And that's how Matthew's using this term. The kingdom of God is God's vision of the world made right. Full provision, full love of others, full forgiveness, full of God's presence, fully made right, even in me, which is a miracle. It would be a miracle for everything to be made right in me, and it is a miracle for everything to be made right in you, and you know that's true. And so the kingdom of God is at hand. So, when do you hear the word of the kingdom? When do you hear it? If this is about you, when did you hear the word of the kingdom? Well, we observe. One of the ways that we hear the word of the kingdom is the Holy Spirit speaks to us as we make observations. This is one of the most basic ways. This is accessible to almost everybody. Where you observe the world around you, and you go like, oh, that's not right. And the comparative, the correction, represents an idea, probably not fully formed, but an idea of the kingdom of God. Like, that's not right. It needs to look like this. Now, your idea may not fully work in the kingdom of God. My projection of how to fix the global economic issues that face the world might be a little too simplistic, just like my idea of how to fix the, the uh, relational tension that happens inside my family sometimes, and, and I might just go, well, if I just lay down the law, I'm going to get the result I want. Well, okay, but what's happening here is, is I've got this movement towards the kingdom of God. A movement towards the kingdom of God, the idea that something's right. But we can more clearly see the kingdom of God in Scripture. We can more clearly see the outlines of the kingdom of God and what God wants to do when we read Scripture, when we hear Scripture from uh, a church setting, when we, when we read Scripture to each other, when we gather in our promise groups, when we do things together where Scripture comes up, we hear afresh the kingdom of God. You hear it. What do you do with it? What do you do with it? What do you do when you hear the kingdom of God? Do you allow it to move you and change you? Or do you skip the hard parts? That's interesting. Idea of skipping the hard parts. Today, in communion, I read a nice passage, right? And it was, it was, you know, Hebrews 10, and don't worry, it's not going to come up on screen. It was Hebrews 10, you know, it's like, oh, let's gather together and, and, and you know, encourage one another. And Hebrews 10, 26 says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains sacrifice of sin, but fearful expectation of judgment and a fire and fury that will consume all the adversaries. Nobody reads that part. We try not to read that, but it doesn't make me feel good. It's not really fun. But it's important because there's something there in that part that speaks of what the kingdom of God needs to do to the evil in the world and in us. So we have to read that part. We have to say, yeah, there's a way that God is making everything right. So the word of the kingdom of God is an invitation to you every time you hear it. It calls you to participate. It's not just for salvation. 
but it's for life. Every time you hear God's Word through Scripture, through prophecy, through the sharing of believers, every time you hear it, even through observation, it's a call of God to participation. It's not passive. We don't just check boxes as Christians say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and I did this, and I did that, and now I'm good. No. But we hear it, and we know that we're called to something. We're called to invite, or to be invited into it. So the parable is about our condition, the condition of our listening ears, and our heart towards God's kingdom. Oh, that starts to affect my life. And we're going to go through in the next couple of weeks, we're going to go through how it affects our life. Because if when I hear the kingdom of God, the soil that it lands on, that the seed is planted, and the soil it lands on is so important. So that's why this, this sermon series is called Managing Our Soil. Because we have been made responsible for tilling the ground to make it ready to hear the kingdom of God. It's not something that you go, oh yeah, once I believed in Jesus and now I'm good and now I have to start evangelizing to other people so that they know something about Jesus. No. I mean, yes, evangelize, please, let's start doing that again. But my heart must be changed. So, here's, here's an interesting question. Someone said, how do we know that our experience of the Holy Spirit of Scripture is accurate? Aren't we totally corrupted by sin? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I look deep enough inside of me and I see that. I see the sinful ways of my own short-sightedness that my solutions don't actually do it. I see the sin around me, especially when I look, look at, oh, I can't say that here. But I see the sin around, and you do too. We know that we are full of sin, but the miracle of the cross, the miracle of, of, of the resurrection, the miracle of the Holy Spirit is that God is doing more work in this process of, of redeeming his world than I am. And God is doing more work than you are. And so, yeah, it's not up to us to be like, oh, well, we have to fix it all. God's calling us to maintain our soil. God's calling us to say, be ready to hear the word of the kingdom. Be ready to hear it. God wants our heart to remain conditioned to hear from him. The word of the kingdom is a vision of shalom, as I already said. And what the world looks like when God guides it. So, what we all, why do we all respond differently to it? Why do we respond differently? Why don't we just get to uniformity and say, okay, well, that's the way it is, and we're fine, and everything, this is, this is the black and white, and there's no disagreement. Well, because God's ways aren't always our ways, right? We know that. We know that God does stuff differently than we do it, and we can jump to, an, we can hear the word of the kingdom, and go like, yep, let's go do it. And then devise all of our own ways and all of our own plans to make that happen. 
We'll put in more rules, we'll put in better programs, we'll make sure that, that it's ordered properly, that it's managed properly, and blah, blah, blah. But no, the word of the kingdom is actually saying, I'm going to do it my way. And we don't always hear it. Sometimes God's ways require short-term sacrifice. They do. And sometimes God's ways require long-term sacrifice. They do. We find ourselves in a place where it's like, can I really do that? When I hear the kingdom of God, when I hear the vision of the kingdom of God, can I really do that? Christianity is just encroaching on my style of life. I want to live like this and then go to church on Sunday. This encroaches on my style. It encroaches on my norm. And God's doing work, and I don't know how comfortable I am with allowing God to change that part of me. Has there ever been a part of your life where you're just like, God, I'm good with you having everything, but not, not that. Not that one. That one is mine. And, and Christianity, God, God initially probably goes, okay, whatever. Works with you, works with you, and then he touches on that. And you're like, yeah, we respond differently to the kingdom of God. Because for each one of us, that is different. That's a different spot. You know, I grew up in church, and not everybody had that privilege or struggle. Um, but I grew up in church, and I'd go to youth rallies, and youth rallies were great because the youth rally, they knew the science of how to get teens hyped up. You know, you're just like, go, go, go. Kids are yelling, and I mean, it was so fun. I was a youth pastor for years. It was so fun to be a part of and watching the kids get it and go and be so excited, and they're just revved up, ready to go, and, and awesome. It was so much fun. What can God do in your life? A dream for the future. God's got great plans for you, you know, and it was great to be involved in, but at some point, there's a cost to following Jesus. It's not just rah, rah, rah motivational. Business conferences are the same, I found out. You know, in business and leadership conferences, they're exactly the same as youth rallies. You can build your business better. You can go from zero to a thousand in six weeks. Took me a bit to count. I'm not one of those speakers. But that was the way it was. Business is all about this, yeah, rah, 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 promise, and if you follow the six steps, you're going to get there. And you listen to leadership conferences. I love leadership conferences. They're awesome, except for they're just these leaders who have done so much awesome stuff that you go, I kind of feel kind of puny now. But at some point, the rubber has to hit the road. I can go to youth conferences. I can lead them. I can go to leadership conferences. I can't lead them. But I can, I can go and I can be excited and motivated. But the rubber's got to hit the road. And the same is true for the kingdom of God. You can listen to good sermons if you go to some other church. Um... So much self-deprecation today. I don't know what's going on. Um, you, can, you can listen to good sermons, but at some point, the sermons of the kingdom of God affect you 
and the rubber's got to hit the road. So for me, when I was a teenager and, and a young adult, I recall realizing that I couldn't just listen to these rah, rah, rah messages, that I actually had to do something. And this was the kingdom of God falling in my life. My first step was small. I started volunteering in a church youth group. Little did I know that would totally cement the direction of my life. The next step was bigger. I st- it was more out of my comfort zone. It wasn't actually a monumentally bigger step, but I decided to commit Thursday nights. Every Thursday night, I would go to Young and Dundas, and I would find a homeless person. His name was Gord. I didn't know Gord at first. I, I just tapped a random homeless person and said, can I take you out to dinner? And we went out to dinner on Thursday night, Swish LA, just north of Young and Dundas. And we just talked. Then he went back to his corner, and I went home. And the next Thursday, I came back, and I saw Gord again. And that was fun. We talked, went to Swish LA again. I paid, went home. The next Thursday, I went to Young and Dundas again, and I found Gord again in the exact same spot. We went to Swish LA again, and we talked. I paid, and I went home. Tell me when this story starts to get boring, because the next Thursday I went to Young and Dundas again, and I found Gord sitting in the exact same spot. We went to Swish LA. We talked, I paid, and I went home. And I thought, there's no difference that I'm making in Gord's life. There's nothing going on. There's no change that's happening. Why am I doing this? And God said, because I love Gord. So the next Thursday I went to Young and Dundas Square, and I found Gord, and I said, Gord, you know, what are you doing with your life? And, you know, we talked, and I paid, and went home. Eventually, Gord said, I really, really want to to get out of this. Oh, a spot for me to finally do something good. Well, I mean, I'm like 19 years old, and I had my own financial struggles. I was only three years away from homelessness myself. I didn't know that then. But I went and saw Gord, and I was like, I could do something for you. I could buy you a nice fancy luggage bag so you don't have to haul stuff around in these plastic bags. That was lovely of me. It was so good. It wasn't what God told me to do, but it was really good of me. I was excited. So I bought him a luggage bag that was $140. And I went down there, and I, and I found Gord. In the exact same spot, we went to Swish LA, and we talked, and I presented him with this great gift, and his eyes bugged open, and he was like, thank you so much, it means so much to me, this is so great that you've been so faithful in coming down and loving me and being so awesome. He's crying, and I'm like, wow, God's really doing something. Well, the next Thursday, I come down, Young and Dundas Square, I find Gordon in a spot, and he doesn't have his suitcase, but he does have a nice new scar. Oh, what happened, Gordon? Uh, I was, was sleeping in Nathan Phillips Square, and someone attacked me for the bag. Oh, shoot. I'm so sorry.
following God, responding to the kingdom of God and the seed, sometimes what we want to do is we want to get it right and fix everybody's life and do stuff, but really what God had called me to do was be present and to be that, that person that came every Thursday night. And I did that until Gord eventually passed away of a heart failure. I actually was on a Thursday night just before I got there. I arrived and the EMS was there and I said, what's going on? And they were like, oh, some homeless guy, you know, home heart failure. And I went, oh, and Gord wasn't at his spot. And I never saw Gord again. I don't know the impact that I had, but I know that the rubber hit the road that day. That the kingdom of God meant sacrifice. It meant me going down every single Thursday night. It meant me being there for this man that I don't know the difference that I made in his life. So, I mean, another step that I took was, was seeing people in their, in their homes. There's a conversation happening on Slack right now that talks about how advancement of the kingdom of God isn't relying on us not being lazy. We need to rely. It says, can't we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to convict us to do the hard work? Yeah. That's what we do. That's what we need to do. We need to be listening to the kingdom of God, relying on the Holy Spirit to say, when the rubber hits the road, this changes my life. So I, I end at the beginning. A sower went out to sow. God's speaking his vision of the world to your heart. This is about you. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your identity markers in any way. This is about you. God speaks the kingdom of God to you. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of the places we need to go and be present to see change. Each of us responds differently at different times in our lives and at different areas of our life. One of my good friends says, you either allow God to take the big things of your life and you hold on to the little, or you allow God to take all the little things of your life and you hold on to the big. He was talking about like big things like who do I marry and career choices and stuff like that. Oh, I'll give that to God, but God can't control what music I listen to. Or some people, they're like, okay, I'll let God control what music I listen to, what clothes I wear, but pfft, I am choosing all my career choices. And both of those, God's working inside of you. He's working inside of you to say, let me run your life. Let me do it. Here's a vision of the kingdom of God. So, how open are you to allowing God's vision of the world infuse your heart? How open are you? Next week, we're going to look at the first type of soil and examine how to maintain good soil. So the first type of soil is, um, is, is the seed that was sown on the path. And then we're going to talk about how to maintain good soil. So what are ways that God's already reoriented your life? Because it's already happened. It's already been happening. God is already transforming you. What are ways that God has already reoriented your life? What's one specific thing that's changed? The one you've heard the word of the kingdom of God. And what was before and what came after. God, I thank you so much for the time that you spend with us. When we hear your vision of the world made right. And we know we live in the in-between. 
And so today, give us wisdom and allow our hearts to be made right in front of you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Promise Church. We look forward to seeing you next week and uh, online or here in person.